0: Well, it's just that it's always amazed me how uh, when you have marriages in
1: between actors and actresses, what have you, that the, the spouses always seem to be remarkably understanding about it. And from an outsider's point of view, you know, well, geez, there they are up on the stage or lying in the surf or what have you. Yeah, but
2: what an outsider doesn't know, and maybe the reason that spouses that are in business are so understanding is having gone through the experience themselves. The thought sort of truly getting emotionally involved in a personal way is very slim, I mean, I think. Because, first of all, it's work. You know, not there really, you know, having a love scene all alone. You're mm-hmm. surrounded by the camera. The camera is there. There are 25 people in crew. There are lights all around. There is dialogue to be said.
0: I mean, it's work. It's part of work.
3: And welcome to Chapter 6 of Fatal Voyage, The Mysterious Death of Natalie Wood. I'm your host, Dylan Howard. In this chapter, we focus on Natalie's attempt at a career comeback and how that strained her second marriage to Robert Wagner in the months leading up to her tragic death. RJ was the jealous type. He said so himself, notably in his memoir... Convinced that Natalie was having an affair with Warren Beatty, he once followed him home armed with a loaded gun. We'll also hear from yacht captain Dennis DeVerne, who reveals chilling new details about Natalie's final hours and provides startling new information that contradicts the official version of events from 1981. First, we hear from Lana Wood, who saw firsthand the public versus the private relationship of this storied Hollywood couple.
2: I felt like he was, he was jealous of, of Natalie because um, Natalie was an international star and I, I don't know how well that sits with any man at any time. If your wife is more successful than you are, I think it takes a hell of a person, of a guy, to be able to withstand that sort of thing.
4: I'm Rebecca Sullivan. I'm a professor at the University of Calgary. When Natalie Wood decided to push herself back into the public sphere, granting a number of interviews, looking for more movie rules in the magazine articles, and it's it's always a very positive message that they are a tight family unit and they'll figure out how to make this work. To be honest, at least within the magazines, It was always very positively framed.
3: After starring in a few less than notable movies, Natalie needed something big to cement her comeback. She saw that potential in a new movie called Brainstorm and it had Hollywood's hottest young actor attached to it, someone who had just won an Oscar himself for a role in The Deer Hunter, a man by the name of Christopher Walken. When Natalie went back to work again and chose to do Brainstorm, it was a step in making her a star again. The kind of star RJ would never be. And perhaps the prospect of once again being in her shadow was too much for him to bear. RJ's frustration began to manifest itself at home, verbally at first. Here's Natalie's sister, Lana Wood.
2: They would bicker. Um, he would say something to her that was upsetting and it was little things. When sound put the mic on you, did he look up your skirt? Did he, I mean, it was bizarre things like that where I'd go, hey, hey, hello, I'm in the room. He would also throw out, which he did one time, which I, I stepped away from the entire evening, is uh, all Natalie did was turn around and say, RJ, where do you think we should all go for dinner? Because Lana and I can't decide. And he said, well, you're the star, so you should decide. And I went, okay, I think, you know what? (laughs) I think we'll do dinner another night because I didn't even want to be around that. It was snide and it was very unpleasant. That kind of thing happened a good deal. I don't know what form of jealousy it was, but I know it wasn't warmth and acceptance. It just felt different. It felt like, I don't know how to describe it. It's, It's like, she seemed different. Everything seemed just a little off-kilter to me. Uncomfortable.
0: Hi, so I am Ken Levine, and I am a longtime television writer, was the head writer of M.A.S.H., uh, produced Cheers, also on Frasier, uh, The Simpsons, one Emmys. So I'm, um, I'm pretty entrenched in, uh, in Hollywood, such as it is. And, um, and I'm also a huge Natalie Wood fan. It has to be hard for an actor like Robert Wagner, who is very good and worked constantly to not be able to make that Big jump to not be Gregory Peck or uh, Burt Lancaster or Kirk Douglas, uh, that star that opens movies. And it also had to be, I'm sure, bittersweet being with Natalie Wood because Natalie Wood clearly had the bigger career, was the bigger star. And because he was with Natalie Wood, it certainly elevated his presence in Hollywood.
4: There's no question that there was a hierarchy of acting styles and acting uh, acting media. That film was better than television, neurotic was better than happy, kind of troubled and brooding was better than clean cut and sleek. And, you know, Wagner was always on the losing end of those hierarchies.
3: With RJ settled into a comfortable TV role, Natalie was poised for her triumphant return as a major movie actress. I think it's important to note that this hierarchy amongst actors wasn't only about status. It extended to the compensation they received. Though RJ was making great money for TV as the star of Heart to Heart, Natalie, on the other hand, was a star in film and had always made much more money than RJ.
4: So when she was loaned out for West Side Story, she didn't think the film would do very well and they were trying to do it on the cheap. So they did offer a percentage, a back-end percentage, but she just wanted her flat salary. Well, we can all guess where that went, right? Of course, West Side Story was this huge, huge success. And so she vowed to never let that happen again. And when she came back to do Bob and Carol, Ted and Alice, Natalie Wood was the star of the film. And again, she was just savvy enough by that point. She just had a natural business acumen that she took the percentage because she saw the times. And she figured that this was a a film that would really be attractive to people. And she made a fortune, literally made a fortune. You know, that solidified her life and then her life with Robert Wagner for a long time. She was an incredibly savvy businesswoman and she learned how to manage her own contracts as well. She started out as a star for whom every decision was made about her by anyone but her. And she ended as one of the most adroit and business-savvy stars out there. Someone who recognized it, she was the business.
3: Natalie needed no financial help. However, she often provided that for others, including her husband. Marty Rooley explains.
4: Natalie, she had helped so many people along the way, and Robert Wagner was one of them. Before they remarried, she paid off all of his debts, and they started new, and then he became... Popular with his TV series, It Takes a Thief and Switch and then Heart to Heart. So he was making his fair share of the income. But Natalie is the one who had the millions saved and the other investments
3: and assets. By the time Natalie worked on Brainstorm, she was a millionaire many times over. Money was no longer an issue. What she now wanted was to continue growing as a serious actress. And Christopher Walken had the energy, charisma and talent to help her do just that. During a short break from filming, Natalie and RJ first hosted Thanksgiving dinner at their home and later would host Christopher Walken on their yacht off Catalina Island that weekend. Natalie's sister and her daughter Natasha had misgivings from the start.
2: I remember Natasha really did go up to Natalie at one point and grab her and say, please don't go on the boat. And Natalie said, no, you're going to be with friends. You've made your decision. You've made your choices. And I made my decision. And these are plans that we made. And we're not going to change them. And Natasha said, I just don't want you to go. And Natalie said, I'm, I'm sorry. And that was it. I just... Couldn't figure out why she was doing it. Um, the weather was rotten. She was leaving at a time that I thought was crazy to go. And I said, so that's it, you're just going to go? And she said, yeah.
3: Dennis DeVerne, captain of the Splendour, hasn't spoken publicly about this infamous trip in many years and never before in this much detail. It should be noted that the official account Dennis gave police of what happened back in 1981 wasn't entirely truthful. Nearly 30 years later, in 2011, he released a tell-all book about the events of that weekend. His revelations pressured investigators to reopen the case. It's also important to note that since then, Dennis has passed several polygraph tests, the latest conducted by the L.A. County Sheriff's Department and tellingly confirm he's telling the truth.
1: My name is Dennis DeVern and Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood had bought the boat and they asked me if I would like to be their captain. So I said, sure, yes, I'd like to be your captain. Natalie was... She was a very, very sweet, sweet lady. We had like a little area up in the uh, pilot house or bridge, whatever you like to call it, where you drive the boat. There was like a seating area where she would hang out. And she would be doing her needlepoint. She would do a little sketching. And I would spend a lot of time with her actually up there because Robert Wagner and the two girls, Courtney and uh, Natasha would be they be swimming in the in the ocean and of course Natalie, she would never even stick her toes in the water because number one it was cold. And the other thing is it was she didn't like being near water. We actually started to become each other's therapists because I had a girlfriend at the time that I was, you know, asking her questions like, What should I do about this? What should I do about that? And and we kinda we kinda exchanged Conversations a lot with each other. After a while, it was just like um, it was just like we were friends.
3: For about six years, Dennis had successfully piloted Natalie and RJ on their Catalina getaways, and by all accounts, they all liked to have a good time. But something about this upcoming trip seemed ominous to Dennis from the start.
1: Well, I can tell you when we would, I would provision the boat to go to Catalina for a weekend. I would get a lot of wine, maybe a case of Puy Fusay. We have our liquor stock. We had everything well stocked. And when we arrived in Catalina, the bottles of wine would open, drinks were poured, and there was no problem about carrying on and having a good time and, and getting a little buzz going on and stuff like that. I mean, that was like, part of the the weekend. Natalie called me and said that we were going to take the boat out on Thanksgiving weekend to Catalina. And I told Natalie, I said, you know, I said the weather isn't supposed to be very good. I don't know if you really want to keep those plans. And she said, well, yes, we do. And I said, okay, I just want to know because I'm going to start to provision the boat. So as it got close to going on Thursday, Thursday, I did all the shopping and I made a couple more phone calls trying to discourage taking this trip to Catalina because the weather was supposed to be horrible. She insisted and she said that Christopher Walken was gonna be coming and I said, okay. So the day that we were supposed to be leaving, it was freezing, freezing cold. I mean, anybody in their right mind wouldn't go away for a weekend, but they insisted on going. And uh, then we ventured across to Catalina,
3: and that's where the story begins. Dennis began to notice R.J.'s behaviour towards Christopher almost instantaneously. Wagner's insecurities and hot temper were becoming obvious to everyone.
1: As soon as we started to get underway, R.J. wanted to uh, kind of show off a little bit to Christopher Walken that he was like... uh, okay, this is my boat, this is the radar, this is this radio, this is this and that. And and he was trying to be very impressive to Christopher. And uh, I don't think Christopher really, really cared a whole lot about that, but uh, I think Robert Wagner wanted to show him that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm the man on this boat here, you know. At, at that very, very beginning, I could see a little friction. And you could see every hour that was going by, it was just uh, getting more intense and more intense. It seems like he's started to change. He started to kind of worry me. You know, because I'm thinking, I think that he is actually jealous of Christopher. And, you know, there had been a couple rumors that up in New Carolina, where they were filming that movie, Brainstorm, that. Um, that Christopher and Natalie has something going on. And, uh, one time I even heard that RJ had gone up there to check and see if he was, was any truth about that. But, um, that was, that was the beginning of, of seeing Robert Wagner, you know, drastic, drastic change moods, um,
3: everything about him, even his looks start to look different. Around Hollywood, RJ had been known to be a charmer. And described by many as one of the most charismatic men in the business. Clearly, though, he had a much darker side that he didn't often show. And it seems that Natalie was finally waking up to it. Dennis's account from here of that Friday night, just one day before her death, only gets more disturbing.
1: What happened was that night, well, the jealousy. T- started to build so much that Natalie couldn't take it any longer. I mean, the the fighting and everything just started everything just started to escalate. And before it got out of control, Natalie says, you know, Dennis, she says, you know, I can you take me ashore? She says, I, I can't I can't be on this boat. So I looked at RJ and I said, you know, your wife is asking me to get her off this boat and I feel like I need to because things aren't looking good here. So Natalie and I we got in the dinghy because of the way he was acting I mean he was acting so crazy. it was just so totally uncalled for. I mean she was, she was petrified. I mean I, I felt so sorry for her. it was it was
3: it was a shame. So let's absorb the weight of this moment. The atmosphere on the yacht was so toxic that Natalie asked Dennis to take her ashore, fearing for her safety. And what about Christopher Walken? What was going through his head? Why did he stay on the boat after Natalie and Dennis fled to the island? Is there something more we don't know about RJ and Walken's relationship? We'll cover this in more detail in later episodes. For now though, one thing was crystal clear. Natalie wanted to get as far away from R.J. as possible.
1: When, when I took Natalie ashore, she was like hysterical. And we went to a motel and we went to the front lobby there and uh, I told the gentleman, I said, we'd like to have two rooms. So we got two rooms next to each other. And um, of course, I went to Natalie's room with her I never even went to my room because now I'm in the position where I'm Natalie's bodyguard. Um, of course, nothing went on, which people have asked me, but I like I said, I was her friend and it was like, you know, I have total respect and Natalie and I, we, we sat there and we talked and talked and talked and she, we talked about so many things. I mean, she wanted to get off the island. She wanted to call her sister, and uh, talked about leaving Robert Wagner. Well, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe all this is happening. So the next morning, uh, Natalie, she, she wanted to call and, call and see about getting a seaplane. Well, she couldn't get a seaplane for some reason. And uh, I said, you know, maybe if we go back to the boat, maybe, you know, I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to say hey let, let's try and make this thing work you know and I said maybe if we go back to the boat and she liked to make this uh, like a Mexican breakfast like a Spanish breakfast you know with huevos ranchero and and all this stuff I said maybe if we go back and and I'll help you with the breakfast and maybe we can all like continue and maybe say hey you know what, last night was kind of like kind of scarier you know you know maybe we all drank too much or something like that maybe we, we can start fresh. So she said, OK, maybe we should try it. So we went back to the boat, we, we did the breakfast, and and it was kind of like nothing happened, you know, and it was kind of like we all knew something happened, but I think we all kind of wanted to start thinking, hey, let's let's try and make this work.
3: On the next fatal voyage... I answered the phone, that was Coast Guard
1: Rescue Long Beach, and they said, we have Natalie Wagner missing for several hours and the the harbor patrol has been looking for her and would you go out and help them and so when i got down to the boat i did a water search underneath the splendor thinking that maybe she fell off the boat and drowned i don't know what happened to her she just you know was missing after that and the raft is also missing
3: Thank you to all our dedicated listeners for your support and for spreading the word about this case. We are grateful for all your comments and feedback that you're leaving on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't yet left a comment, we'd love to hear from you. What do you really think happened that fateful night? And just a reminder, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. New episodes of Fatal Voyage drop every Friday. Fatal Voyage is executive produced and hosted by me, Dylan Howard, and American Media Incorporated. Executive producers also include Kelly Garner and Carolina Saavedra from Treefort. Editing, scoring and original music by Tom Monahan. Additional editing by Eva Reistad. The series is mixed and engineered by Stephen Colon. Make sure to subscribe to Fatal Voyage on Apple Podcasts